So as I started talking about last week, there's this movie coming out next year. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's called Batman v Superman. I don't know if anybody heard about this, but apparently these two rivals, Batman and Superman, are going to duke it out. I don't quite get the whole thing, but I'm very intrigued by it, partly because I don't get the whole thing. I'm trying to figure out what's going to happen. And as a person, I normally don't watch previews. I don't like to watch movie trailers because I like to be surprised, okay? And so I always make my wife, we're going to the movies or thinking about renting a movie or something, I always say, okay, hon, you read the description and you tell me if you think it's going to be good for us. And I'm just kind of reali- realizing that that's kind of been backfiring on me. You know, no wonder I end up in so many chick flicks. You know? <laughs> so as you're like reading it, like, man takes on the whole world by himself. Um, uh, Doug, I think there's a Sandra Bullock playing, uh, movie playing, too. Let's go check that one out, right? And so I, I don't really want to know about movie stuff, but this movie, I'm incredibly intrigued. And I've watched the trailer like eight times. I'm like reading articles about it because it's just so intriguing to me, this idea of Superman and Batman duking it out. And last week, I actually asked you guys, I said, who do you guys think would win? And, and the morning service overwhelmingly voted that Superman would win, and the evening service overwhelmingly voted that Batman would win. So that was very interesting. And so there are these two rivals, these two camps of people that are saying, no, he's going to take it. No, he's going to do it. And there are two rivals that have been going at it way longer than Batman or Superman, and that is the law and faith. And there are people in the law side, and they say, hey, having a right relationship with God is all about keeping the law. It's about keeping the rules. It's about doing the right thing. If you want to have a relationship with God and be right before him and get to heaven and be saved, then you got to be good and do the right thing. Follow the law. And then there's another side, and they say, no, no, no. See, we can't follow the law. We can't keep the rules, and so we need to have faith in Jesus. It's all about Jesus dying on the cross and rising back from the dead. That's where our hope is. And so you have these two groups kind of duking it out. No, it's law. No, it's faith. And so this is kind of confusing stuff sometimes, isn't it? When we have Christians in the room, this is confusing to us a little bit. What's up with the law and the Bible? What's up with all the stuff about faith in the Bible? This is confusing to non-Christians. If you're not a follower of Jesus here today, you'd say, I, I don't know what I think. I always, maybe, maybe you always thought it was about the law, but maybe now here's this guy saying, hmm, could it be about faith? And so all these different questions start to come up and, and things become a little confusing. But before we get into those questions, let me just make everything clear that we're going to talk about here today. And I, I got to tell you, I really need you with me today, okay? Last week we got our feet a little bit wet. We just sort of tested out the waters. This week we are going for it. So I need you with me, all right? If I see anybody sleeping, I'll throw something today, all right? Because I need you with me. I'm just kidding, visitors. But I need you guys with me, okay? And so when we talk about the law, I'm not talking about the law that the police enforce, right? We just discovered this together last week. I'm not talking about the law like don't, you know, run a red light or any of those things. And I don't know if you guys realize this. There are some ridiculous laws out there. Have you guys ever seen any of these? You can check out the screen. In, in Alabama, this is a law. You may not have ice cream cone in your back pocket at any time, right? That's an interesting one. Alaska, it is considered an offense to push a live moose out of a moving airplane. There goes my summer plans. Uh, Louisiana, it's illegal to rob a bank and then shoot at the bank teller with a water pistol. So if you don't shoot with the water pistol, is the robbery legal? Like that's, that's a little confused there, right? Um, Louisiana also, biting someone with your natural teeth is simple assault, while biting someone with your false teeth is aggravated assault. Uh, okay, I guess I'd be aggravated if I had false teeth too, I don't know. And this one's so confusing, you've got to think about this for a minute. New York, it is illegal to get divorced on grounds of irreconcilable differences unless both marriage partners agree to it. Wow, they didn't think that went through at all, okay? And so, no, these are not the laws that I'm talking about keeping, okay? 
When I talk about keeping the law and people trying to save themselves by keeping the law, I'm talking about what we discovered last week is called the Mosaic Law. It's called that because the laws were given to Moses. And so God hands these laws to Moses. And and some people have thought that it's our job to keep those laws and rules. And if we don't keep the Ten Commandments and all the other laws that Moses was given, he was given a lot more than just ten, then man, that's, that's, that's trouble. We have to keep those laws or we're not going to have salvation and be right with God. We're not going to get to heaven. And there are major religions that bank everything on performance and keeping the law. And then the other rival, like I said, is faith. And the people in the faith camp say, it is about Jesus and Jesus alone. He came, he died in our place, he rose back from the dead, and you and I cannot keep the law. We get ourselves in trouble when we try to keep the law. We see what a mess we are when we try to keep the law. It's about faith in Jesus. And so this is important for us to talk about because of all the questions it brings up, right? I mean, whether you're a theologian or you don't know even if God is there, this brings up some questions in our minds. This can be really kind of confusing because if it's about the law, then what's all the talk in the Bible about faith? And if it's about faith, then why was God ever giving the law to Moses in the first place, right? And it just seems kind of confusing. What's that all about? Is it a combination? Does faith and keeping the law save me? Some of you would say, hey, if I put my trust in the law, I'm a little nervous if I can pull that off. If I can keep the law to a level that will actually guarantee me right standing with God. I think that's a great question for you to answer. Is can you trust yourself to save yourself? To perform well enough that God says, hey, you're in. You got this. Some of us in the room would say, I don't think it's about keeping the law, I think it's about faith, but we still find ourselves trying to earn things from God sometimes, don't we? And sometimes we feel less loved and accepted when we don't perform well. And so last week, we kind of answered all these questions, and if you missed it, I really encourage you to check it out. I don't say that very often about a message, but I really encourage you to just go back, because it's really a foundational message for this series, even though I'm trying to catch up a little bit here. But what we discovered in answering all those questions is this. Paul makes it really clear in the Bible. He says, we are saved through faith in Jesus alone. It is not about keeping the law. We cannot keep the law. We desperately need a Savior to come and rescue us. And so that's where we kind of started last week. But there's some more questions, aren't there? Right? And we're really going to tackle one of these here today because one of the things that I think we feel a little confused about, even if you're a follower of Jesus, even if you have like some good biblical knowledge and you say, I think I get this, you know, I think I understand the Bible, there's, there's this confusion between was God up to one thing in the Old Testament? So let's say Old Testament's over here, okay? Old Testament is the first half of the Bible and it's the first several thousand years of human history and God's interaction. And it seems like God's telling us, keep the law. Keep the law. It seems like he hands out the the commandments there, and he says, okay, I want you to be good. That's what it seems like, right? And then over here, we have the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, when Jesus lived, and then it starts to seem like Jesus, or God's saying, hey, it's all about Jesus. It's all about faith. It's all about doing the right thing, or, or, or looking to Jesus who did the right thing in your place and died and rose back from the dead. And so I guess as we look at these two extremes, we start to go, wait a minute, and this is really important. You ready? Was Jesus the backup plan? Or was it always about him? Like, was there a time you and I were supposed to save ourselves and then something happened and, and, and okay, God, God the Father, you know, said, son, we changed the plans. It's, it's about you now. I need you to go save them. They, they couldn't keep the rules. They couldn't keep the law. So I'm sending you. 
And that's what I really want to tackle today. Was Jesus a backup plan? Was he plan B? Was he, God kind of going, oops, these people didn't live like I thought they'd live. Now we've got to figure something else out. Or was Jesus always the plan? And then it leads us into our, our next week's discussion, which is this. If it's all about faith, then why did God ever give the law in the first place? And what about doing the right thing? What about living a holy life? Does that not matter? And so we're going to tease some of this out today, but mainly we're going to tackle this idea of what is with the feeling like God used to be up to one thing and now he's up to another. Was Jesus plan B? Was he the backup or was it always about him? And so we're going to look at Galatians 3 a little bit more here today. And like I told you last week, Galatians 3 is a pretty confusing chapter. And so I'm going to do my best to make these things clear for everybody. Like I said, I need you awake with me today, okay? So you got to take some of that espresso dads, go for it. That's fine with me. Pop that thing open, go for it. But I need you guys with me today, okay? Because we're going to talk about some stuff that's so important for us to understand. And I've been a follower of Jesus my whole life. I'm 37. And something in here today is the whole reason this series kind of started was because I got stuck on five words that wouldn't stop rattling around my head. And I've been a follower of Jesus for a lot of years. I've heard lots of sermons. I've been in lots of settings where I, you know, I've been trained in the Bible and this and that. But these five simple words have been stuck with me and have been encouraging me and doing so much in my heart that I knew I had to share it with you. And it kind of blossomed into this whole series that we're talking about here today. And so Paul, if you don't know who Paul is, Paul was the guy who was really great at keeping the law. He was actually an expert in the law. He knew, he knew it all, all about it. He knew it in and out. And he was great at keeping the law. But then he encountered Jesus. And he realized, uh-oh, I'm not keeping the law as well as I think I was keeping the law. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. And his life was radically changed. And he put his faith in Jesus. And when he put his faith in Jesus, everything changed for him. And he became this passionate, in love follower of Jesus. And he started to help other people grow in their relationship with God. And so he wrote to the Galatians. And the Galatians were all confused about this same thing you and I are trying to work through. Law v. faith. Law v. faith. Is it about law? Is it about faith? What's going on here? And so Paul helped us see last week and helped them see in Galatians 3 in this letter he wrote that it's all about faith. Faith saves us. But he goes on. He tells us some really cool stuff about this whole idea of God changing his mind. Was there a plan B? Was there a backup? Did the original thing fail? Is the Old Testament and New Testament like two different worlds or two different religions? Or does it all work together beautifully? And so we're going to look and answer those questions here today. Galatians 3 says this in verse 6. Paul uses an illustration. He says, consider Abraham. Okay, He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Okay, Now, Abraham would have been famous to the Galatians. They would have known all about Abraham. And so Abraham was this guy who God shows up in his life, and God gives him some amazing promises, and, and Abraham is just known as this kind of figure, this foundation of someone who follows God. And people were confused. You ready for this? Everyone stick with me. People were confused about what made him right with God. Was it his performance? Was it his ability to keep the law? That was what a lot of people thought. Or was it his faith in God? And it's kind of funny, actually, that people thought it was his performance that made him right with God because Abraham was kind of a mess. 
He got himself in trouble all the time. He was a liar. He lied all the time to all different types of people and got himself in trouble. He ended up sleeping with someone who wasn't his wife because he thought God was moving too slow and God wasn't going to be able to work something out. And so he wanted a child and he slept with somebody that wasn't his wife. And so, man, if Abraham is like the example here, then I think we're in trouble. And so people thought Abraham must have been made right by his performance, by the law, by doing the right thing. But here what Paul just told us is, hey, he believed God. Well, what's that? That's faith. He believed God, and that was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, he believed in God, and God said, because of your faith in me, not because of your ability to keep the law, you're mine. I'm going to save you. I'm going to rescue you. Now, now, what was he believing in? Was it enough that he just had to believe in a God out there? Or was there something specific? No, see, he believed in something specific. He believed and put his faith in an incredibly important promise. Without this promise, there was no hope for Abraham. So look what we, we find out what this promise is all about. And again, this is phrased a little weird, so stick with me. I don't have to start throwing stuff, okay? Verse 8, the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. I'm going to explain all this in a second. Hang with me. And announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Okay, now what does this all mean? Let's break it down and then I'll explain a little more, okay? The scripture foresaw, okay, what that means is God knew the plan. He knew what was coming. And so he even recorded in scripture what was coming. The scripture foresaw that God would justify. That word justify means to make somebody right with God, to make it look just as if they'd never sinned in the first place. The Gentiles, who were the Gentiles? Those people that weren't God's chosen people, the Jews at that time, okay? Hang with me, I know. By faith, okay, and announce the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel is everything about Jesus. The gospel is somebody's gonna come and die in your place. The gospel is someone's gonna remove your sin for you. You don't have to try to keep the law. Someone's gonna do what you could never do for yourself. Announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed for you, which meant that Jesus would one day come through the line of Abraham. So, okay, Doug, whew, what does this all mean? What it all means is Abraham wasn't made right with God because he kept the law. It was because he believed Jesus would one, come one day and save him. That's that whole verse for you. Okay? Abraham believed God and his faith in God that Jesus would one day come and save him is what made him right with God, not his ability to keep the law. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a visual timeline for you today, okay? And it really works out perfectly because if you think about the timelines you see in pictures, they, they, look, they look like this. So let's get that picture up there, right? I mean, that's pretty much me right there, no? That's 15 of me. You know, if I stand like this, you know, a bunch of bald dudes standing in a row. One of them's purple. Okay, cool, right? And so I'll be the non-purple one, all right? And so I'll be going to be a visual timeline for you today, all right? Jesus lives over here, right? Came to earth over here. God in the flesh shows up here. Abraham is given a promise all these years before, thousands of years before, probably about 2,000 years before Jesus came. Abraham gets a promise that someone was coming to rescue, that someone was coming to save and take away sin. So we got Jesus all the way over there, and if you're going, Doug, I just feel like in the Old Testament, things were about works and law and doing the right thing. Well, here's Abraham 2,000 years before Jesus ever shows up in the Old Testament times with a promise 
that a savior would come and rescue. And that's what made Abraham right with God. It was all about Abraham looking forward to a promise. On February 12th, the year 2000, I asked Kelly Pavone to marry me, okay? Second best decision of my life. The first was my relationship with Jesus, but she's definitely the second best without any, any questioning at all. And so when I asked her to marry me, and somehow magically she said yes, I'm still trying to figure out why that worked out, but she says yes, and so for the next six months, yes, we were only engaged for six months, uh, we planned our wedding, and everything we did was based on the fact that we'd promised something to each other, that we were going to marry one another. And so everything we did for the next six months in preparation was about that promise. And so we tried to find a place to live. We had to shore up our job situations, make sure everything was going to work with that. Uh, We had to book the reception hall. I'll never forget, we went to the reception hall, and you know, you try the food, and you talk the price with the guy. And the salesman there, his name was Jimmy. I still remember this, 15 years later. And Jimmy was the nicest guy, because he always smiled. I don't know if you know this, but a great salesman never has an upper lip. Have you ever noticed that? And Jimmy had no upper lip. And so you talk with Jimmy, and we'd say, Jimmy, I don't know if we can afford this, man. This, this, is, this price is kind of high. And he'd go, well, let me see what I can do for you guys, you know? And he'd lose the lip. I don't know what was up with that. And so he went to the back, and, and, and I'll never forget him coming out. And he was so excited, just a huge smile, no upper lip. You know, he's like, ah, oh, they're going to take $20 off a head, you know? And I, actually, we'll pay you the $20. Maybe you can go buy yourself a lip somewhere. You know, it was just <laughs> creepy, okay? And, and so all that preparation was about a promise we made to each other. Listen, you ready? I wasn't trying to figure out where we were going to live in an effort to earn Kelly's love. I already had that. And she'd promised to me that she was going to marry me and me to her. And so, okay, we figured out we're going to live in my uncle and aunt's apartment. Awesome, perfect. That was based on a promise, not keeping rules. She figured out, hey, I'm going to go work at Mtron Components, right? Where is he? Anthony's here somewhere. And yeah, going to go work with Anthony at Mtron Components. And she shored up her job there. And that was not based on law or trying to figure out how she could earn my love from me. No, she already had that. And our promise was, hey, this is the plan. On this day, we're going to get married. And so we're going to look ahead to that happening. And everything we did was based on that promise. And that's exactly what Abraham is doing. He got a promise that something was coming. And so he didn't look to the law to save himself. He didn't try to earn his relationship with God. He looked ahead to what was promised, which was Jesus. And so, no, God was not up to one thing in the Old Testament and another thing in the New. It was always about Jesus. And so what does that mean for us? Well, here's what that means for us. Look at verse 9. So those who have faith, well, here we are thousands of years later. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Abraham is not called the man of law, the man who performed, the man who did well, the man who earned God's favor. No, Abraham's called the man of faith, the one who put his trust in Jesus and what he would one day do. And the same is true for you and me. Okay, everybody awake? Everybody clap your hands five times. Go. One, two, three, four, five. Good. All right. I need you. I need you here. I need you here. Here we're going to go. You weren't clapping for me, by the way. I was just waking you up, okay? All right, here we go. Verse 13. This is so important. You ready? This continues to drive the point home. I'm sorry, verse 10. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. Ready? For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written 
in the book of the law? Why can't we earn our way to God? Because every single one of us fails, don't we? I mean, I'll just be real with you, and I'll just ask you a question. Anybody never sinned? I sure have. I've sure messed up. I've sure done things I wish I hadn't, and I've broken the law many times. The Mosaic law, the rules, I've fallen short and continue to. And that verse tells me I'm in trouble because anyone who doesn't fulfill the whole law is cursed. Cursed by God. Now, now this is interesting, okay? And please stick with me, okay? The place we find this is the book of Deuteronomy, okay? Please don't fall asleep, okay? I know the word Deuteronomy, just like, you know, it just knocks you out, okay? Stick with me, okay? The word Deuteronomy means second law, okay? So here's what this means. Stick with me. When God gave the law, he then restated it, okay? So he gives the law initially, and then he goes, okay, hey, just, just so I'm clear on this, I'm going to restate the law in Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy is called second law. And that's where this verse is found. Paul's quoting this verse from the very book we get the law in, okay? So it's like someone handing you a book of laws and saying, in that book, it's saying, by the way, if you don't keep all these, you're cursed. It's right there in the law. And so we find out we're in serious trouble. Well, what do we do? Well, thank God, a few verses later in verse 13, look what Paul says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, and then he he quotes this, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So we were cursed because we couldn't obey the law. And so he became a curse. Okay, I'm going to mention that word that makes you want to fall asleep again. Deuteronomy, you ready? That verse is also found in Deuteronomy. And so somebody gives us the law. God gives us the law and says, hey, guess what? If you can't keep this, you're cursed. But in the same book, we see the gospel. In the same book, we start to hear about Jesus. We get the book with all the laws that says, hey, you're cursed if you can't keep these. But guess what? Anyone who's hung on a tree will be cursed. Well, guess what? Jesus was hung on the wood of a tree in our place and became a curse for us. So right there, when the law was given, we already get a promise about a Savior. Right there, when we hear we're in trouble, we're already hearing, Abraham's already hearing, hey, look ahead, look ahead, look ahead. Moses hearing, hey, look ahead, look ahead, look ahead. A Savior's coming. Someone will come and do what we can. You see how powerful that is? Right there in the giving of the law, we see the promise of the gospel. That Jesus would come and do what we can't. And I just want you to think about this for a second. Jesus is the one who actually did keep the whole law. You and I are in trouble because we can't keep the law. Jesus kept the whole law and then became the curse. So think about this, ready? The one who shouldn't have been cursed became a curse so that those who should be cursed would no longer be cursed. The one who shouldn't be cursed became a curse so that those who should be cursed, you and I, would no longer be cursed. That's what Jesus has done. If you're looking at this verse going, it's kind of rude that God would curse people just because they fall short. Well, think about this. God gets this whole story, and the whole plan is that eventually that curse wouldn't fall on you and I. It would fall on his son in our place. That's the loving God we serve. That's how amazing he is and what he's done. So that's the promise Abraham's looking forward to. A Savior is coming. Now, one last little part. Stay awake, stay awake, all right? Galatians 3, verse 17. And this is confusing at first, but it's so powerful. And this is the words, these are the words that I've been stuck on for months. These are the words that got me going and excited about this series. Galatians three seventeen. The law 
introduced 430 years later, which means 430 years after Abraham got the promise, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. Now, all right, stick with me. You ready? So this promise was given to Abraham, and hundreds of years later, the law shows up. And what Paul is saying here is that when the law showed up, it didn't negate the promise. When the law showed up, God didn't say, oh, Abraham, you know that whole promise I gave you that someone would come and rescue you? Well, guess what? Uh, I got a new plan, and the new plan is the law, and people are going to have to keep the law now. That's what's going on here. No, Paul's saying, hey, the law didn't show up for another 400 years, 400 plus years, and when it showed up, it didn't remove the promise that one day a Savior would come. So track with me. You ready? Jesus lives here in, in human history, right? The law is given maybe here. Ready? Got to get this. When was the promise given to Abraham? Here. The promise precedes the law. The promise came before. That word precedes means came before. The promise precedes the law. If you've been thinking, man, I think God wants us to keep the law, keep the rules, and that's how we get right with him. I think that was his initial plan, and when that fell apart, then Jesus came thousands of years later and saved everybody. No, the promise precedes the law. The promise came before the law. It was always the plan. The plan was always that you and I would be saved by faith. Through grace in Jesus alone. That was always it. Jesus wasn't the plan B. God wasn't scratching his head going, wow, that first plan fell apart. Jesus, you better come thousands of years later. No, before the law was ever given, the promise was given that a Savior would come for you and I and rescue us from our sin. And so I want you to remember that phrase. The promise precedes the law. I want that deep down in your bones. The promise precedes the law. Why do I want that in you so badly? Because if you're anything like me, there are times I start to try to keep the law and earn God's favor by doing that. And there are also times, hear me on this, when I don't keep the law like I wish I did and I feel ruled out from a relationship with God. Have you ever felt that? And so I want you to remember The promise precedes the law. The promise came before the law. The promise was always the plan. Jesus was always it for you and for me. And so when you start to rule yourself out because you haven't quite lived up to what you thought you should, remember the promise precedes the law. And when you are finding yourself saying, oh God, you must be really impressed with me today because man, I've been pretty good lately. Remember, the promise precedes the law. You are saved through faith in Jesus alone. That promise is everything to you, and to me. And so that's what I want you to walk out of here with today. That thought that the promise precedes the law. That God was not up to one thing in the first half of the Bible and then another thing in the second half of the Bible. And I want you to remember what we learned last week, what we talked about last week, that the whole goal of this series and the whole goal of Jesus and the whole plan of salvation is that you and I will rest securely in what Jesus has done for us. If you're here today saying, Doug, what does all this mean? Okay, got all this theology thrown around all these words and all this stuff I don't get, and you're having me clap, and that's weird. Okay, here's what this means. The whole point of all of this is that you and I would rest securely in 
what Jesus has done for us. That's why this promise matters so much. Because the promise was, I love broken people. God the Father says, I love broken people. And I will save them. And I will rescue them. And I have a plan in place. If they will just look ahead to it. Abraham had to look ahead. David had to look ahead. Moses had to look ahead. You and I get to look back. Jesus did it. He came and died in our place and rose back from the dead. And now our job is to rest securely in what he's done. Not try to add to what God's already done for you and I, but rest securely. I want you to think for a second about a spot in your house that you rest securely. I would guess most of us have a spot that instantly comes to mind. That place where you, when you're just shot and you're exhausted and you need to lay down and just take it easy, and all is at peace. That's your spot. For my wife, it's the living room couch. That's where she is. I can know that at any time. For me, I love the couch in the den, second seat from the right. That's me right there. I got my feet up on the ottoman. Uh, I'm able to put my Dr. Pepper where the side of the couch meets the back of the couch without it falling over. It's a nice little cup holder place there for me. That's my spot. Where's your spot? Where do you rest securely? Some of my kids, I think it's the bathroom, but we won't get into that. I've been in there for like hours. Like, where's... I won't mention who, but I, where is that person, right? Some, sometimes as parents, that's like your escape. It's the only place that anyone will leave you alone. So maybe, that's, maybe that is it for some of you, okay? And so where's that place where you rest? You know what I would guess about that place? You have not recently laid down, collapsed down in that spot, closed your eyes and started to doze off, and then awoken yourself up in a panic and said, wait a minute, I got to make sure that this spot can hold me. I gotta, make, I gotta help the couch hold me. I gotta make sure I can help sustain some of my weight here. I would guess none of us like flipped around and had our feet up on the couch and our arms down trying to hold ourselves up along with the couch. I would guess every one of us has securely rested without that thought even running through our mind. Am I safe right now? Am I securely held right now? But I think all the time, we as Christians and followers of Jesus, maybe some of you who may, maybe would say, I don't know if I'm a follower of Jesus or not, I would guess all the time the thought runs through our head, am I securely held right now? Do I need to add to this? Do I need to pick up some of my own weight, so to speak? Do I need to add to what Jesus has done for me? Or can I rest securely in what he has accomplished? And that's my challenge for you this week, that we live this out. The promise precedes the law. The plan was never for you to add to what Jesus has done. The plan was never for you to carry your own weight or your own load. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, let's be reminded today and celebrate the fact that Jesus died in our place. And he said on the cross, like we talked about last week, it is finished. He didn't say it's almost finished. If you guys do your part, he said it is finished. Let's rest securely in what Jesus has done for you. Now, some of you guys are saying, now, wait a minute, Doug. I'm getting very nervous here because I feel like you are throwing holiness out the window. I feel like you're throwing doing the right thing out the window. Where are we headed with this? Well, we're going to really tackle that next week because as I said last week, holiness still matters, but the why and the how have changed. Why we are holy and how we act in a holy way have changed. Remember what we, we discovered last week? that the more secure we are in our Father's arms, the more our lives will honor him. The more secure you and I rest in what he's done for us, the more our lives will then respond in honoring him. So yes, holiness matters and honoring God matters. We're really gonna get into that next week 
along with talking about why then did God even give the law in the first place if it's all about faith in him. So we're going to get into that next week. But this week, will you rest securely in the fact that your Savior carries you, that Jesus was always the plan, that the promise precedes the law, so it's not about you earning anything from God, and don't rule yourself out because you're not perfect, because there was one perfect person who became a curse for us and died in our place that the curse wouldn't land on you and I. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, are you resting securely in that? If you're not a follower of Jesus, I would love for you today to put your trust in Jesus. And I'm not going to twist your arm, but if you want to, in just a second, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray and just respond to God. And this is not some kind of magic prayer that saves you. If God's saving you, then he's saving you. And and this is just a conversation starter with him. And we are here to help you grow in your relationship with God. And then begin to see how exciting it is to reach others around you that need a Savior as well. But if you want to put your trust in Jesus, then I'm going to pray with you in just a second. But Christians, let's rest in what Jesus has done for us. The promise precedes the law. Let's pray. God, thank you for the amazing promise that Abraham looked forward to, that a Savior was coming. And thank you that we get to look back from the other side of that human or that historical event. And we get to see that Jesus came and did it. That he accomplished what he said he would. Jesus, thank you for becoming a curse in our place. For being cursed where, where I should have been cursed for my sin. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for loving us enough to live this out. And I pray this week as we try to add to that that we'll rest securely. Remember that the the promise precedes the law. The plan was never the law. It was always the promise of what the Savior would come and do. And as we tend to rule ourselves out when we're not living up to the standards we think we should or even you call us to, that God, we remember that you have saved us and your desire is for us not to be perfect but to grow, to see progress in our lives and to cling to Jesus as our hope. And so help us with this, God. If you're a Christian, What do you try to tend to do to add to what Jesus has done for you? How are you trying to pick up your own weight on the couch, so to speak? And instead of doing that, will you rest securely in what your Savior's done? And listen, when you rest securely in what he's done, watch the desire and the strength come to then honor him with your life. And we're going to jump into that more next week. Rest securely if you're a follower of Jesus and what he's done. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, then I would love for you to just respond to God today. If you feel he's doing something in your heart, it's because he's doing something, not because I have persuasive words. If you feel like responding to God, it's because he's showing up in your life. And I would love for you to pray a prayer silently to God just to begin the conversation with him if you'd like to. So it's just something like this between you and God, just quietly in your heart. Jesus, thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. Thank you that I don't save myself. And I acknowledge today that I couldn't even if I wanted to. But you've given this gift to rescue me from sin and death and guilt and shame. Thank you for this. Help me to grow my relationship with you. See how real you are. In your name I pray.